1: On this show, together and with our guests, we're bringing the real talk, no BS5, with tangible tools to help you pursue health and wellness without obsession or
0: restriction. Remember our disclaimer, this podcast is meant for general information purposes only and should not be taken as a substitute for medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. On this week's episode, we have a return guest. It's Steph Gaudreau who's joining me, Dana, this week to talk about how to make sure that we are eating enough for everybody, athletes and non-athletes alike, non-diet nutrition for performance, and how to use strength training as a tool to help improve our body image, self-esteem, and confidence. Steph is a performance nutritionist and strength coach who specializes in working with 40 something women athletes. Her mission is to provide coaching and resources for you to fuel, train and recover smarter so you build fitness, strength and muscle. Read, not trying to shrink yourself. Her aim is to be a voice of reason and clarity amongst all the fads, all the BS and the poor advice that doesn't take our physiology into consideration and to push back on the narrative that women should shrink at all costs. And just to clarify this off the back, right? This episode is for everybody who wants to or likes to move their body or who is interested about learning how to move their body and learning about getting strong. Yes, even for people who don't consider themselves athletes or athletic or like going to the gym or really even like moving their bodies yet. On this episode with Steph, we're talking about low energy availability, strength training for women over 40, how the female athlete triad has evolved over the years, and why people struggle so much to eat enough, whether they're trying to fuel their training or not. I've also done a couple of episodes with Steph on the podcast in the past where we talk more about nutrition for performance. We talk a lot more about body image in those episodes as well. If you're really interested in that part of today's episode, I'll definitely link those in the show notes. Steph has literally 400 episodes on her podcast that you can check out at this point where she talks about this all the time which I highly recommend and then if you'd like some bonus content this week we actually have two things coming your way so we have a little bit of um, what we tend to call after the episode bonus content for our Patreon that's going to be with me Dana and Steph this week where uh, you will see that we actually were unintentionally matching which was pretty funny and we were catching up after about two years and then If you are also interested in more of the body image side of things this week, we're releasing a bonus episode with some past guests where we'll be talking about how to cultivate body trust. So if you're interested in either of those, those will be linked in the show notes. And if you're already on our Patreon, which is patreon.com slash wholehearted eating, you can already go check them out there. Yeah, I mean, there's in every single step of this, there's so much learning and unlearning and relearning and kind of like reprogramming, right? Because even just, you know, just talking about something like strength training or athletics or anything like that, people have so many preconceptions about what it means to be someone who is athletic you know you've got to look a certain way or you have to train a certain amount or and then there's the whole conversation around how because all of the messaging towards mostly was eat less exercise more for so long people a lot of people have a very Either negative relationship or ne- negative connotation with exercise because it was always either forced on them or they felt like it was something that they just had to do in order to lose weight or, you know, engage in kind of like weight suppression or anything like that. But I want to help people flip the narrative. And talk. I'd love for us to talk a little bit more about how strength training can be used as an amazing tool to help work on and create a more positive relationship with exercise and with your body as well. All right. Let's, let's <laughs> jump in. Let's jump in. <laughs> Who it. knows? Maybe I'll use that as like bonus content that I'll release like after the episode. But so first, Steph, welcome back to the podcast.
1: Thanks for having me.
0: I don't even know how many times we've been back and forth on each other's podcasts at this point, but (laughs) I wanted to say congrats because you did just hit episode 400, which is a huge freaking milestone and so,
1: so cool. (laughs) (laughs) I was thinking, oh my gosh, so I've been in business for 10 years this year, but for eight of those now, I've had a podcast and I just thought, okay, all right, pat on the back self, like. That's, yeah, that's pretty good. So, you know, we've taken breaks along, along the way here and there, little pauses, longer pauses, uh, to catch my breath, I guess. And, you know, it's had a couple different iterations in terms of yeah. name and focus, but yeah, continuously podcasting more or less for eight years is uh not something a lot of people can say, I think. So I
0: know, I know <laughs> we're on our, I'm on my sixth year now and I'm just like, yeah. oh man, this is so crazy. Um, but So for people who don't know you or may not know you as well as I do, I'm going to give you a little bit of your own introduction, then you can take it wherever you want it to go. Um, So recently or semi-recently, you had posted on your Instagram, you said something like, welcome to the corner of the internet where we don't focus on toning, Mm -hmm. eating less or playing small. We focus on building muscle and getting strong. Mm -hmm. So. Tell us about that and a little bit about you.
1: <laughs> okay, that's all right. I'm going to try to be as succinct as possible, which is not going to happen, but I'm going to try. <laughs> so I um, I have been in this world in terms of athletics since I was a kid. Um, I found strength training in 2010 and it changed my life for the better. Um, it was a huge, unexpected, pivotal moment in my life where i was like oh my gosh i've been doing athletics and mostly endurance sports kind of leaning up to that i had been racing mountain bikes for about 8 years and then got into running half marathons and running a marathon and doing extra triathlons and all of that so mostly along the endurance uh sport route and i really had kind of i had a couple little uh dalliances i guess in in lifting weights along the way but i never really learned how to lift weights at all and I really burnt out from racing in 2010. Now hindsight being what it is, I realized I was definitely not eating enough and not well recovered and basically burnt out from the sport. I was also going through some personal stuff at the time, um, in terms of my marriage and that I was getting a divorce and all those things. So there was just a lot that was going on in in that time frame, but eventually I just thought like, I cannot race bikes right now. I just like, am so exhausted. Recently, I went back and found my old Strava account, by the way. And I was like, Oh no shit. Okay. Because you're doing like 50 mile races, like back to back to back to back to back. Like there was just a lot of mistakes made in the training. A lot of mistakes made in the fueling and recovery of what I was doing. So I found strength training and really kind of like walked into across the gym later that year. So this is like August of 2010. I learned how to lift free weights. And for the first time, I could just concentrate on like getting strong and not worrying about like the size of my body. Because in racing, there's obviously like a very high priority put on things like power to weight ratio, being as small as you can be, being as lean as you can be. And now we know that those are some huge uh, risk factors, or I guess like some of the reasons why, There are so many women in athletics who are at risk for things like low energy availability, red S, and so on and so forth, which we'll probably get into at some point here. But suffice to say, that was a really pivotal moment for me. Um, I ended up starting a food blog, long story short, um, but it was still really interested in uh, and coaching things like strength training. And it's been such a huge story arc of my life. Um, so eventually started really working on the performance aspect of nutrition and um, strength training as well. And then kind of in the last year or two of really, now that I'm 44, have sort of started to take a, an interest in and like dabble in, like, how do I help other women over 40 um, to to really do this and understand the science and like the evidence-based practice and how our bodies are changing. And there's so much out there right now in the world that is absolute garbage <laughs> for um, for us. And it's you know, um, it's hard to sift through all that. So that's kind of what I'm doing now. Um, But I did eventually leave my 12 year career as a high school science teacher in order to work for myself. So that's kind of like a little bit of the background. But um, it's tough. It's tough to be a woman in athletics, period. (laughs) Um, It's hard to be a woman in athletics who um, is really out here encouraging other women to eat enough like i i know you would think okay well like athletes or athletic people care about doing well in whatever it is that their chosen sport or pursuit is so they'd want to do the things that it will take in order to be the best but <laughs> we're still <laughs> fighting against a huge mountain of societal, like these are so many layers like of, of things like diet culture and um of just like this refrain of like eat less, move more. And it's really, really difficult sometimes to be this person out here who's like, hey, let's like actually eat enough to support our activity level. And so we can get better at the things that we like to do. Because I I automatically get that skepticism. And I I guess I understand it. I was that person too when um I hired a sports nutritionist In 2012, and he was like, Okay, how are you not like really fucked up right now? He said it in a really professional way, but (laughs) I was I was still significantly under-eating even after I left the endurance world. I did not understand what it was gonna take to really get me to the goals that I had, and I was starting to see negative impacts in my training. So I kind of switched gears. I went from like a very endurance based sport to very strength based kind of, um, like um, based sport as well. So, you know, I shifted like the main focus of what I was doing in my training, but I still took along like my lack of knowledge. I still took along my, un- unfortunately like unhealthy views of what it would take to fuel myself, like in, in food and food in general, and so I think that's kind of really the genesis of of what I do today is like thinking a little bit has changed in the last, I would say, 10 to 15 years. We're having more conversations. There are more resources. There's a little bit more research coming out. But that doesn't mean that people, specifically women, understand this stuff um, or are spoken to in a way, frankly, that's like, hey, actually, you're intelligent and you can understand this. We're like, you know... A- Again, we're sold like, do you want to like fix your underbutt and like target your bra bulge and you know look toned and long and lean? Like that's still, if you look at, if you go out of our little bubbles, yeah, that we're in, that's still the <laughs> predominant way that fitness is marketed to to women. Mm-hmm. So, I guess all of that kind of rolled into my interest in, um, and doing this professionally and helping other women to to make forward progress in these areas too, and be part of the change that I want to see, not just kind of complaining about it from the sidelines.
0: (laughs) Yeah, definitely. (laughs) Well, I think it's so interesting, you know, because thinking on both of our backgrounds and like where we started as like food bloggers and like more in the CrossFit world and now only being in the strength training world and everything, it's really funny because, you know, when we look at things in like the early 2010s and like 2000s and everything, it was so much about just very blatant, eat less, exercise more, be a cardio bunny, do abs, whatever. And I think really interesting and interestingly, and you know, one of the things that we can, I think credit CrossFit with is like more of an interest, broad spectrum on strength training and like, oh, being strong is okay. And it's actually cool. But then of course, There's so many issues that go along with that because even within the CrossFit world when it's like, oh, you know, we want to focus more on like being strong, but also only like strong enough and like, you know, we don't want to look too strong. There's so, so many issues even within that world. And I think now, you know, that the kind of aesthetic quote ideal body type has kind of changed to have more, you know, like butt-focused and, like, more strength and you want to, like, look strong and stuff like that, it's, it's honestly almost even more of an impossible body type to achieve because it's unnatural and it's like, oh, well, now you need to quote, look strong, whatever that looks like, but you also need to be super lean and you have to have abs and you have to have all this other stuff. And no wonder women are, I would think, even more at risk now for under eating because it's like, oh, well, you know, I want to make sure I have enough protein, but like not too much because that would be bad. And then like, I want to make sure that I'm eating enough, but just on the borderline of what is enough for maybe my sport or my performance. And then most people are like, oh, well, that's what I need to perform. I'm just going to do a little bit of deficit under that. And it's like, well, now, Mm -hmm. (laughs) now you don't even have energy for your basic body functions, let alone your training.
1: Yeah. Yeah. It's, um, well, you were saying, you know, kind of, and, and I do think CrossFit, um, has popularized or has, has really contributed to, you know, even things like Olympic lifting. I mean, mm-hmm. it was a very like niche thing and, yep. and has become a lot more, um, I guess, mainstream if we want to use that word. Um, and I think largely in part due to the influence of things like CrossFit, but I remember when I started, it was like, here's the zone diet, you know, and it's again, I started in 2010. So take your mind back yeah. like 10, 10, yep. 10, 12 years.
0: Okay. You well, know- I still teach that in the L1 certification <laughs> yeah. for CrossFit in case you're wondering, I know it,
1: <laughs> I we have a this is a very much an aside, but we have a lending library down the street from us where we live. and there was a copy of the Zone diet in there and yeah, I lit- on fire. I literally <laughs> took it from the lending library and I was like, no one else. I will not allow anyone else to <laughs> see this. And I took it and just like threw it in the dumpster near our house. Like, no, we're just going to end this right here. Like, I don't want to perpetuate this anymore. But <laughs> yeah, so I, I think um, the tough part is, and you mentioned like people wanting to sort of like skate right underneath, like what their energy needs are. People have no idea what amount of energy they even need for their activity level. Like they have no concept of like what they even need. And in terms of basal metabolic rate, um, which is of course the energy that you need, if you were completely horizontal and bedridden all day long, it's, (laughs) we're not even talking about the energy it takes to move around, right? Mm -hmm. This is the, and we're not talking about the energy of digestion. This is just like you were just to exist and lie horizontal for an entire day, how much energy your body would need. We have this generation of people. And I think it's just morphing and changing as the decades and the generations go on who believe that if we didn't work out today, we don't need to eat. And I'm like, yeah, this is a fundamental gap in understanding how basic, and I'm, and I, this is coming from a biology teacher. (laughs) (laughs) Like I get that if you're sort of like, I forgot cellular respiration and photosynthesis and all this, like, I don't remember those pathways, but we like, we have to understand at the basic level that even just to keep ourselves running, if we were to do nothing else, we require a fairly substantial amount of energy. And then we add our training on top of it, which as you know, if you do a lot of like higher heart rate or long duration type training, you're going, even you're going to increase your energy needs even higher beyond if you were. I don't want people to think, oh, like lifting weights doesn't use any energy, but like, let's say you're going to do some like heavy sets of three to five, like, and you're going to kind of call it a day after that. You're, it, the energy output is going to be probably a little bit less than if you were to go run a 10K or, <laughs> yeah, um, you know, like, I don't know, do a bunch of like CrossFit regionals training or something like that. <laughs> so I think people just fundamentally have a gap in their understanding of what is what are what are the energy needs of the body? And by the way, that's not really up for like opinion. It's taking into consideration things like our age, our body current body weight, our, you know, um, assigned sex, like those sorts of things. Um, there are different equations that you can use. And of course, there, I always say your body is not a spreadsheet. <laughs> so mm-hmm. there are going to be individual nuances and differences. But people are usually pretty shocked to see things like, when they add in their activity level that their energy needs may be over 2000 calories a day. And they're just like, Oh, but that seems really like a scary number because maybe at some point in the past they went on a cutting diet and they were brought down to, I don't know, 1300 calories maybe, or maybe even less than that while maintaining a relatively high energy output. So it's, um, I think, you know, it comes a lot, a lot of it comes back to education, and being able to talk about things in a, in a fairly like a neutral and scientific way. And it's not even that the science is a hundred percent settled on all of it, but we have a relatively good idea of how those things work. And, um, just thinking, oh yeah, well, I'm going to randomly, um, you know, follow so-and-so's diet because it seems like it worked for them is probably not the best idea for you.
0: Oh no! (laughs) Like oh god, which way do we want to go with this?
1: Um, Let me get my can opener. We're gonna open this can of worms and like see where it goes. Yeah, I mean,
0: oh, it's so so tough. And you know, I just I just want to clarify that. This conversation goes for everybody, right? We're not even necessarily talking about like super high level athletes, however you quantify that, right? This is people who enjoy moving, right? So you could be a walker, you could be a runner, you could be a CrossFitter, you could be a yoga person, you know, whatever it is. We're not even, yes, we are talking to high level athletes and people who would, you know, say, oh, I strength train a couple of times a week, but it's for anybody, right? And so I want to use that kind of uh, disclaimer or like lay of the land to lead into something else that you've been talking about a lot, which I think is so helpful because, you know, I love the data. Mm -hmm. Um, All of the audience will be like, oh, here goes Dana again, nerding out. (laughs) (laughs) Yep. Yep. Here we go. But so you had uh, posted about how in a 2016 study, mm-hmm. 45% of female recreational exercisers, not even elite athletes, right, were surveyed were at a risk for LEA, which mm-hmm. is low energy availability. And for every hour of a week of exercise that they added or every hour per week, that risk is 1.13 1. times greater. Mm-hmm. And you mentioned that you don't have to be an elite or competitive athlete to be eating too little to support your body and activity. So, can you talk about that a little bit? Oh,
1: this is like <laughs> where I get on my soapbox. Good. Um, I'm here for it. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So, first things first, if what we're talking about is the basics of energy balance, and this is more nuanced than just calories in and calories out, people are, are always like, let's just calories in, calories out. Like, but there are many different things that affect. Um, for example, how our bodies use the energy um, coming in or how much energy we spend going out. So it's more nuanced than just calories in, calories out. But we, what we are really talking about here is energy balance, right? And energy balance applies to all humans, regardless of, you know, are you a weekend warrior? Are you an Olympian? Or are you, you know, someone who's currently sedentary for whatever reason, it's just gonna mean that your energy needs might be lower if you're less active right because you're not expending as much energy. So what mm-hmm. we're still talking about things like energy balance. so that's number one number two oh my gosh, this is a very big bone that I I like to pick because there are so many women who and again I work with women that of course this, this happens across um this happens across the human spectrum here. Um, There are so many people who are like, but I'm not an athlete. And I'm like, okay, (laughs) first of all, you are athletic. You are training with some purpose and intention in mind. Maybe you have a goal right now. You're trying to work toward that goal. You are an athlete. And this is where the disconnect happens with a lot of people because they think, oh, I'm not an athlete, so I don't need to pay attention to that kind of shit. And in a way, and this is not like, I'm here to tell, I like, I try to tell the truth with people and I don't say this in a way to be hurtful, but rather a way to get people to pay attention. There are a lot of people who would rather think, well, I'm not an athlete, so I don't need to care about that. So I'm just going to eat and diet really, you know, diet hard or like, I don't need to, I don't have to care about things like low energy availability. And they use that as a justification for not eating enough because i'm not an athlete so of course the spectrum of who is an athlete is going to vary not every athlete is a competitor not every athlete is elite and by the way it only the odds of things like low energy availability uh the risks for things like red s the incidence of things like disordered eating and eating disorders only gets higher As we talk about things like – or people like elite athletes, the stakes only grow, but it doesn't mean that it doesn't affect recreational athletes, recreational exercisers, weekend warriors, people who have full-time jobs who train on the side because they really like it or they have a particular goal. So I think part of it is – Part of the issue that we see here is a an issue in how we, well, of course, there's there are different people who have different ideas of what an athlete or who an athlete is. But if we take a more broad definition of who an athlete is, that solves a lot of our problems because we can start saying like, hey, by the way, over here, this stuff matters for you. <laughs> <laughs> and I don't care if some dumb gym teacher in 10th grade told you you were like, Un- unathletic, untalented, klutzy, you know, n- n- no hope of ever being good at a sport. Like you need to move past that and just understand like, what am I doing now? What are my needs now? Am I training with some kind of like intention? Am I training with some sort of consistency toward a goal? Am I pushing my body hard and, and asking a lot of my body? It, it- That's going to increase the, uh, I, gu- I guess I would say, the stakes for you to say, am I supplying enough energy intake for my body? Because to your point, low energy availability, it, people think, oh, it just means I'm going to be more tired if I go to train. What we're actually seeing with low energy availability is that because we're spending energy during our training, we have less energy left over to put into our basic bodily functions For so people <laughs> <laughs> yeah like the things that keep us alive right um and so people think oh well it just means like maybe I don't run as fast this day no so again we're short changing on a and then when this happens on a chronic basis short changing the the energy re- that we have available to actually put into our basic bodily functions even things like recovery And then we're wondering why we are tired, our moods are off, we're not sleeping very well, we're sore all the time, we have that, you know, nagging tendinitis that isn't going away, like all of these things. Now, there could be other causes, of course, but I would see across the board that when I look at my students, my clients, and I see like, are they even in the same ballpark in terms of their energy intake of like where they really need to be for what they're doing? Um, If they have these different issues going on, it's like 99% of the time they are not, they're not anywhere near where they need to be. So yeah, that, um, you know, and I think I would say too, like, there's definitely the science is imperfect in this area. There's definitely More that we need to know, like exactly. We had there's no one consensus on like how do we decide who's in low energy availability? Like, what is that amount of calories? Like, how do we calculate that? There are some kind of leading, um, ideas of what that is and and that are kind of showing up in the literature, but even you know, things like red S or some people call it reds red s relative energy deficiency in sport. You know, we used to have the female athlete triad and think this stuff only affects, um, you know, people assigned female at birth or people who are menstruating. And what we see is that actually, no, now we've, we've expanded this syndrome, right? This set of symptoms to include other things beyond just the female athlete triad, which is historically going to be disordered eating or eating disorder, um, osteoporosis, and, Uh, amenorrhea. Now that's, that itself has been broadened. (laughs) And that's bad enough, (laughs) but it's more. (laughs) But wait, there's more. Um, So, (laughs) you know, now the, the sort of criteria have been broadened a little bit, just even in the triad. So uh, just as one example, it used to be like, you know, you were, I guess, clinically um, having dealing with osteoporosis, like you're in that like clinical level of osteoporosis. Now it's kind of defined as, as bone mineral deficiency, right so it could maybe osteopenia is is wrapped is wrapped in there as well um it used to be defined as amenorrhea right the complete cessation of the menstrual cycle um now it's classified as more like uh, menstrual disturbance so that can be so you know you can kind of see again the broadening and then all the other things that are wrapped into that go beyond just um females i guess i would just say that again just to note, like there's obviously going to be limitations in things like studies, like how are we doing studies, like male, female, this, you know, cisgender, those sorts of things. So I just want to put that out there and saying like, even the terminology is imperfect, but Mm -hmm. um, yeah, there's, there's just a lot that is, is wrapped into that. And I think people who are like, well, but I don't train that hard or I'm not that strong or I'm not good enough at the sport that I do are doing themselves a massive disservice, massive disservice um, because they're generally, I would say, shortchanging themselves um, in terms of their, their energy intake, which does have a knock-on effect in the training, but expands to life outside of training as well. And that's the part that people need to get. It's like, this isn't just saying you're going to have a crappy workout in the gym or your run is going to be really slow today. We're talking about global, you know, in terms of like the human body, we're talking about physical, psychological, right? We're talking about these like global impacts to the body that go beyond just your training session. Yeah. So.
0: Yeah. And that's honestly, that's where a lot of the crossover between I think a lot of the clients that you see and a lot of the clients that I see tends to happen, right? Because if you are a person who's like, oh, you know, I'm not an athlete. I don't think I do you know, enough. I don't think I do that much in order to have to really focus in on and care about this. Well, first, like you mentioned before, no matter at what, you know, on what point on the spectrum you are in terms of activity, you still need to be eating enough. And the the really hard thing is to figure out, well, like how much is enough? And then when you bring in other things like chronic dieting and disordered eating, it's like, oh, well, you know, like even tracking things can be triggering even if you're just, you know, quote, trying to make sure that you're eating enough. Then there's another side of things that people that are in athletics are like, oh, I'm just tracking to make sure I'm eating enough. But then they're really tracking just to make sure they're not eating too much. It's like a whole thing. But mm-hmm. A lot of the time when you go down this like red S and like low energy activity kind of spectrum, regardless of where you are in the athlete perspective, is where you'll start to see a lot of the signs of burnout, gut issues, hormonal dysregulation, right? Everything like that. And it's all so connected to the nervous system because if you're not consistently feeding yourself enough, you're chronically going to be in fight or flight, which then is going to lead to a lot of the things like inflammation, cortisol dysregulation, which yes, is then going to lead to shitty workouts and hormone stuff and gut stuff and burnout and all these other things. And you know, when it really boils down to, would you rather eat enough or deal with all of that shit? (laughs) Right? Because for some people, and you know, when you get really down the line, it's never as simple as, oh, well, if you just eat enough, it'll fix everything. Because now we've done a lot of damage that we need to kind of dig ourselves out of this hole. And unfortunately, it's not that easy. But eating enough and nourishing enough and then replenishing enough is a huge part of the conversation that for most people is the place where we need to start. Because if you're not nourishing your cells, if you're not fueling for your training, I mean, if you're not eating enough for a baseline of human function, how are you expecting your body to do anything extra like walking your dog, let alone going for a run or doing weight training or anything like that? It's just it's such a tough place to be in because there's so many intersections with body image and diet culture and weight stigma and everything like that. And we, you know, we've both been there. We both completely understand why people don't want to eat enough and why they want to lose weight and everything like that. Because I mean, it is easier to exist in the world when you are a smaller person. But at the same time, that doesn't mean that you, if you are in a larger body, Or if you are trying to, you know, lose weight or perform or anything, that doesn't mean that you should, quote unquote, be eating less because you should be trying to artificially control your body size.
1: Mm -hmm. Yeah, it is very complicated. It is very nuanced. There's a lot of overlap. And, you know, I when I talk about these things, I don't mean to sound as if it's an easy prospect
0: No. Like we know what
1: the, we know what the solution generally is, but Mm -hmm. how do we then as coaches or, you know, professionals get clients to actually take steps toward this is when we're dealing with a real complex, multifaceted person with lived experience that we might not have in front of us. And that's just like, that's just like addressing the whole person. And then we have behavior change and you know habit change and all of the things that we know go into actually executing those things, which is a constant discussion I'm having with with clients and with students is like simple is is not always going to be easy in terms of execution. And even if we're talking about something like, you know, protein intake, for example, um, just an area where a lot of my clients can improve, it's like, yeah, we know, we know what the punchline is. It's eat more protein. But how <laughs> how do we actually do that in the context of different people's individual, you know, real life differences in schedule, differences in preferences, um, those sorts of things is is going to be different for each person, and a lot has to flex a uh, room has space sometimes has to be made they have to think about not just how what they're going to put in the mouth but like how you know how do we shop or how are we you know maybe cooking or, or obtaining food like what is the environment in my house like how might that have to change who's supportive of me like do i need to have a discussion with my partner in terms of how they maybe they do the meal prep and and you have to t- talk about making a change so it sounds i think sometimes I, and i do this a lot it sounds like we're like oh it's so easy we know what the thing is but how we get you to that thing is oftentimes going to take going to take time learning unlearning um and and just a lot of patience and compassion for yourself as you go through that process of of actually learning how to do it
0: yeah i mean there's in every single step of this there's so much learning and unlearning and relearning and kind of like reprogramming right because even just you know just talking about something like strength training or athletics or anything like that people have so many preconceptions about what it means to be someone who is athletic you know you've got to look a certain way or Mm -hmm. you have to train a certain amount or and then there's the whole conversation around how because all of the messaging towards mostly was eat less exercise more for so long people a lot of people have a very Either negative relationship or negative connotation with exercise because Mm -hmm. it was always either forced on them or they felt like it was something that they just had to do in order to lose weight or Mm -hmm. you know engage in kind of like weight suppression or anything like that but I want to help people flip the narrative and talk, I'd love for us to talk a little bit more about how strength training can be used as an amazing tool to help work on and create a more positive relationship with exercise and with your body as well.
1: Mm, yeah. It's um it's interesting. And I recently shared on Instagram how I started running again after um, I don't know, when's the last time I, I really ran more than whatever happens in CrossFit sometimes, like <laughs> 400 meters, you know, so I stopped yeah. really doing CrossFit in like 2013. Um, so that's like really the last time I sort of like intentionally did any running, but mm-hmm. in terms of like running anything over like a 5k, it it's probably been since 2010 since I really stopped doing triathlons. And I I talked about how I had to just be ready to do it again because for me, it was something that I had such a, like, I basically ran because I wanted to stay skinny. And I think a lot of people have that experience with cardio, um, or different types of cardio, which was, you know, engaging in it as a, like a weight loss mechanism, for example, or, or making up for what they ate. Um, and so, you know, I just want to put it out there that like, if you're not ready to do that sort of thing, or you're not ready to like even strength train, like you have to, you have to be like open enough where it's like a possibility for you. But I also don't want people to like beat themselves up for feeling like it, I'm just not there yet. Um, I had somebody on my Instagram who was like, well, people should just kind of get over it. Like we need both. And I was like, <laughs> yes. And um, when you have that really negative relationship to that thing, it who knows how long of a time frame it's going to take for you to feel like you can engage in that thing and it can be, a different experience. So I just want to kind of preface all of this by saying that um, we also know that, you know, in terms of even exercise guidelines, like if we look at the United States, we have two different, I guess, tracks in terms of exercise guidelines. We have the cardiovascular element, right, which is uh, 150 minutes of moderate intensity cardio per week minimum um, there are some, there's like an equivalent exchange. If you're doing all vigorous, it's like 75 minutes minimum per week. But then we also have the strength training track <laughs> that they go together. <laughs> They're both part of the guidelines. So the recommendations uh, for, for adults age 18 to 64. And by the way, when you're 65 and up, those don't change. Bazinga. It's only <laughs> the difference is, is that you add Um, I think it's two or three balance like sessions or you're like weaving in balance training two to three times a week. Anyway. Um, so when we look at the data and this is like from the, uh, 2018, um, survey that they did. So they looked at, you know, age brackets and, and sort of like male, female, and, and those sorts of things like who's getting what kind of training. And they found that between the ages of 18 and 64 women were about 50% of the time meeting their cardiovascular minimums. But when we looked at <laughs> we included the the uh the data point of the muscle strengthening or strength training, who was meeting those minimums, which is twice a week, and the cardio, it fell to 20%. It was like 19 point some 19.1. So about one in five. So we know right away, at least based on this large survey, that women are really falling behind in terms of the strength training piece. So I say all of that because I understand how it's very intimidating. Um, You know, people think everybody who does strength training has to go in on day one and like lift the heaviest weight they possibly can, which is just not true. <laughs> no. um, <Be> and dangerous. <laughs> yeah, don't do that. We have a lot of like... Uh, again, I guess like body beauty and body standards or things like, oh, we well, don't get bulky, like just really not understanding how hormones play into all of that. Um, you know, we just like lack the capacity. And, and by the way, if you're thinking about like the most like beefy, juicy bodybuilder you've ever seen. Or and like that-
0: CrossFit Games athletes yeah, or anything. Like, a
1: lot of those people are on PEDs mm-hmm. to enhance or encourage muscle growth. They have to train too by the way, but <laughs> during the training but you know they're they're being assisted in in those pursuits. So I think um why is strength training so if I could kind of preface all that with all of that is saying like why is strength training um have such great potential to help you I guess sort of like I don't know what I'd say there like feel more um confident in yourself like to, to think about being able to separate, I guess, like if you're trying to build strength versus you're trying to get a particular look, like, first of all, those two things may or may not cross over, um, fitness, what is fitness? Well, a lot of people in this industry would tell you it's how you look getting a particular look, and that's not actually the definition of fitness. The definition of fitness is your suitability to do a particular task. So like, for example, my suitability to run three miles until fairly recently, even though I'm an athletic person and I train BJJ and I lift weights, my running fitness wasn't very good because I didn't train to run. (laughs) I wasn't running. Right. So, um, fitness is like how suitable to the task that we are. And so I think when we're able to start separating those two things a bit and we can think about, okay, strength, like there is such a wide variety of body types that people have and also display incredible strength. Tiny people, large people, and everybody in between. And so when you start to think about, okay, like I want to focus on improving my skill in a particular thing, or I want to focus on improving my strength in this particular lift, for example, we can focus on that irrespective of like what is like what our body looks like. And I think for a lot of people, myself included, that's very liberating. Now we'll say there's also a trap, which is, some people will say, well, you know, I used to define my self-worth based on how I looked and now like I started doing this sport or that thing or lifting this or powerlifting or whatever it was. And then I started to feel like, oh, I, I was only as good as what I could achieve in the gym or I was only as good as like, if I could lift more then I felt better about myself. Of course, we don't want to just swap one set of like you know, um, externally determined self-worth for another. <laughs> and so um, sometimes I'll have people that say, Well, I started lifting and I found that I was, you know, I only felt good about myself if I could lift more weight or something like that. Like it, they they swapped how they looked in terms of self-worth, self-worth for like how much they could lift or how much they could do in the gym. And so I also hear that a lot. Like Well, you know, if we can, if we only determine how good we are based on what we can do, then that's obviously quite limiting as well. So I like to think about it in terms of, you know, what does this methodology or what does this way of training allow me to experience in my life that is different or more expansive than what I was experiencing before? And that could, that could be defined in many ways that could be like, um, you know, instead of thinking well you know i'm only i'm only great at this if i can deadlift 300 pounds i think about what is deadlifting or lifting this weight giving me in my life maybe i'm living with less back pain maybe i um, am able to navigate my day to day a little bit more easily maybe when i'm hanging out with my family or my friends i'm not thinking about I'm going to use back pain as an example. Um, and I'm not saying, by the way, that deadlifting will cure your back pain. So I just really <laughs> want to this, but, you know, maybe for somebody strengthening their back really helped. And so when you're hanging out with your friends and family, you're not thinking about your, your back hurting. You're actually able to be present with those people that you love more present with them. So I think if we can start to separate, um, even lifting from like particular aesthetic goals, that is incredibly helpful because as somebody who is an endurance athlete and was like, well, on the surface, I was like, I just want to be good at mountain biking. But also I, I was just always trying to be thinner. When I started lifting, I was like, oh, now I should really invested in like seeing how strong I can be. And I started to notice that that it was actually better I got better as I got better at lifting. And as I was getting stronger for me, I was actually putting on muscle, um, which meant my, you know, people are like, did you lose weight when you started lifting weights? And I was like, no, I've put on muscle. Like the scale has gone up and they're like, Oh, (laughs) (laughs) that's a good thing. Um, it's a good thing because again, I talked about under eating and so on and so forth. So yeah. Um, I think it's a complicated question. Um, but we also, you know, have some really cool, uh, studies that have looked at like self-efficacy and lifting. Um, there's some meta-analyses on things like mild depression and anxiety and lifting. Um, and we just know that for so many people on an unscientific way, like it has such a great carryover for like, oh, I didn't realize I could do that thing. And like, now what, now I can do that thing. And I just have this sense of like, all right, I'm more capable than I have given myself credit for. And for women, that's incredibly, an incredibly empowering thing to feel.
0: Yes, definitely. So, okay, taking all that into account, let's say people are like, hell yes, (laughs) this is something I want to try, right? Yeah. Or maybe for whatever reason, health issues, you know, whatever, they've had to kind of take a break from exercising Mm -hmm. or lifting or anything. Um, What are some of the steps that you recommend taking, whether physically or mentally, emotionally, to start to come back from a training break?
1: Yeah, this is a good question. I think um, if you've never done any training before ever, I would recommend if you can, if it's it's an option for you, is to work with somebody in person because you're going to learn a lot from just being able to interact with that person in real time. Um, So that's just an aside. I think, you know, I get a lot of questions like, what's the best way to start? And I'm like, even if you can like save up for like a few sessions with a a coach or a trainer, you're gonna just learn a lot just from being in that space. But if you're coming back and you have experience, um, you know, okay, so one of the concerns I hear is like, it, well, I'm just like starting all over again, and I'm really frustrated. And I'm like, you know what, here's the thing. We're interested, I am interested in lifting for life not lifting because I want to, you know, like, here, let me rephrase that. I'm not interested professionally in helping people. Like, I just want to get shredded for this class reunion. I'm going to my 20th reunion and I just want to like show everyone, or, um, I'm not interested in helping people like look hot for, I don't know, their, their wedding, or they're going to be the mother of the bride or whatever. That's personally not what I'm interested in helping people use strength training for, um, and professionally in my business. So I'm, I'm interested in helping you be like robust and strong for the rest of your life. So we're taking a long-term view on things. And when, so when you have a long-term view, you must accept (laughs) and get used to the fact that you will have to start over likely more than once, one time. Between now and when you leave this green earth, like let's hope that's a long time from now, but you're going to have to start over many times. I was talking to my friend, Brianna battles about this. We had like a very similar train of thought at the same time. And it was like, yeah, we just like, we're going to have to start over. Um, So there's that. Secondly, your, your body has muscle memory. There's some really interesting studies on muscle memory and how, Of course, the first time we learn something or we acquire the skill, it's going to take a lot longer to acquire that skill. Now, you're still probably going to come back and feel rusty and and all those things, but you will be amazed at how much quicker the process is to sort of re-hone those skills versus the first time. So I guess you can kind of be confident in that. The third thing I would say is um, you have got to take it slow. And it's going to be hard because if you have past experience, you're like, ooh, but the last time I was squatting in the gym, I was squatting 200 pounds. Maybe I'm starting at 100 pounds. And so you're like, ooh, okay, I should just jump up real fast. There's going to be two two main things that get you (laughs) when you're coming back to training. The first thing is volume. Volume is just simply reps and sets. So we have a lot of people that are just like, I want to jump in with a lot of volume. And they think, actually, okay, so if I do go a little bit lighter, like, let's say I do just the bar. Oh, but if I do just the bar, I should do like sets of 25, 20, 25 squats. So I should do five sets of 20. Oh my God. That's a hundred squats. Your legs are going to be cooked the next day, right? <laughs>
0: For probably a couple of days after that too.
1: <laughs> yeah. You're probably going to give yourself DOMS, which is delayed onset muscle soreness. Um, which sometimes a little bit of soreness is inevitable, um, but we can sort of mitigate some of that. So reducing the volume and taking the reps down. So maybe instead of doing five sets of 20, you want to do two sets of 10. There's going to be an ego check that has to happen here. Because you're probably like, oh, I could do a lot more than this before. And you just want to jump right in. But your body has got to get used to that again. The second aspect of this is novelty. So anytime you're introducing a new exercise, a new movement, a new variation, you're going to increase increase the likelihood that you're going to become sore because you're just less familiar with that movement. So... um I would, I would say, you know, depends on how long the break is. If the break was relatively short, it, novelty might come into it a little bit less. But if you are taking a long, long break, like it is basically like you're introducing these movements um, as almost as if they were new, even though you do have muscle memory in terms of kind of the motor, uh, the like the neuromuscular connection between between that. So you've got to keep your ego in check, keep the volume <laughs> relatively you know, I would say low, uh, lower than you probably think. You're going to think that workout was too easy. And if you think that, that's probably, you're probably on the right track. (laughs) (laughs) That was too easy. That's fine. We'd rather see you slowly ramp it up over the course of, again, it depends on how long your break was. Let's say it was like six months. Um, I'd rather see somebody takes a month, six weeks, even to kind of slowly ramp up, then they're just going to like the next day decide that they're going to double everything or, um, pile on a bunch of reps or whatever it might be. So you've got to have some, (laughs) some adjustment there. And if you're doing, if you're walking away from the workout, thinking it was too easy, that's probably a good thing.
0: Yeah. Well, I mean, especially because if you go too hard in the beginning uh, you might get injured, and then, friend, you're going to have to take even more time off, yeah. do PT, all the things, start over again. Yeah. Um, <laughs> oh, man, what a mess. And I have definitely been there before. So uh, I
1: don't recommend that track. <laughs> no, no. I think, you know, another place people tend to cut corners, um, and this becomes more important as we're aging, and especially once you're, you know, going through that. Menopause transition and in you're into perimenopause, you're in your 40s, like we just start to see changes in estrogen levels and things like that. Um, and we can have our soft tissues, like our our ligaments, our tendons, like they just and I don't want to like use a word that sounds like very like um <laughs> dramatic, but they become like less, I was gonna say brittle. I don't want to say that they become like less pliable. So we just need more warmth, we need to like stop skipping your workout or your warm ups. Like, and do you we need to warm up for an hour? No, but, you know, make sure you don't skip your mobility work at the beginning. And that could even be five minutes of mobility that it can make a huge difference. You know, make sure you're doing some kind of like cool down, you're doing maybe some stretching afterwards. Like those sorts of things do matter and they start to matter more as we get older. You know, you think of like a kid and how they can just like, do what they do anything they're like let me do a back handspring and like they just do it and and, you know if we tried to do that we would just like hurt something um we just need more warm-up and and a little bit more tlc um we are we're less our bodies are a little bit less forgiving of those antics that we used to pull so we used to call it coaches warm-up coaches warm-up would be like you don't warm up at all you just go in and start lifting um Probably not as good of an idea now that we're 40 and up, and we just need a little bit more, uh, you know, our, our tissues just need a little bit more TLC.
0: Definitely. <laughs> um, well, I do want to be respectful of your time because I know we've gone over a little bit. Um, yeah. But thank you so much for having this conversation. I always love chatting with you. You know this, <laughs> but I'll just say it again. Um, Likewise. And I'll be sure to link all of the times that we've interviewed each other in the show notes in case people want to check them out. But yeah. Please tell everybody everywhere they can find you and about your new program that's gonna come out.
1: Yeah. So I I don't have exact details um yet, but I will be releasing a new strength program during the year 2023. <laughs> I'm not gonna, that's like the most detailed I'm gonna get at this point because I'm still sort of like um, sorting out some of the beta testing and and things like that, but basically it's going to be a comprehensive strength training program. Um, really, you know, with a little bit more of an eye toward people over 40, although I'd say, you know, if you're under 40, you're still going to get a lot of benefit from it. It just includes some specific things that people over 40 really need to include in their programming. Um, like a little bit of plyometrics, um, like, you know, a more written out dedicated Um, mobility and warm up and those sorts of things. And it will be programmed and sequenced out, periodized, um, you know, with a long-term view in mind as well. So if you're really like, I'm done program hopping, like if you're just kind of like trying to find random workouts, like this is really going to get you um, a lot of continuity. So that'll be out probably at some point in the year 2023. So we'll check that out. Um, You can check back at my website and see if it's out, but that's stephgodro.com. I have the Fuel Your Strength podcast. Um, And then I also have Strength Nutrition Unlocked, which is really a nutrition-based program for women over 40 who want to learn how to put these principles into action and get support on them, you know, thinking about fueling, about um, how training and recovery play into that and really looking at it from an inclusive, like a food inclusive, um, uh, you know, fuel perspective where it's like, We we need to provide our bodies enough energy, and how do we do that? And how do we figure out those needs and then put it into practice? Like, what's the most important thing? What's the least important thing? Like, if you're freaking out over, (laughs) you know, a five gram difference in carbon intake, like, is that really where your energy and time is best spent? No. (laughs) Um, But you know, what do we need to focus on instead? So you can find out more information about that on my website, and I would say I'm most active on Instagram. Steph underscore Godro and, and then also on YouTube. So my podcasts are back on YouTube now, so you can check that out to the website too.
0: Awesome. Well, thank you so much. Thank you. Hey friends, it's Dana and thanks so much for listening to the Wholehearted Eating podcast today. Find us on social media at Wholehearted Eating Pod on Instagram and at WholeheartedEating.com for more information about working with Dana and Christina for one-on-one nutrition counseling. If you love the show, we would love you forever if you'd share an episode with your family and friends or tag us on social media or leave a five-star rating or review wherever you listen to podcasts to help more people find the show. Check out patreon.com slash Eating to help support the show and get access to ad-free episodes, bonus episodes with us and our guests, episode discussions, new resources we're creating for Patreon, and so much more. If you have questions for us, feedback on the show, potential topics or guests you'd love to have on, shoot us an email at hello at eating.com. and we'll see you next week.